Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna fire it up. Like, <laughs> that uh, was very nice of you, actually. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. Uh, you guys know the deal. We're going to talk about shooting on deck tonight. Mr. Matt Hopkins. Hi. Joel Park. Hello. Andreas Yankopoulos. Hello, Interweb. Yes, Andreas says hello. All right. Well, you guys know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic, a thing to talk about. And I have, I think I'm going to go first. I'm going to lead off the show. Say oh, get the best stuff out there first. Uh-huh. I should say before I talk about this that I don't want to talk about it. I would try to be enthusiastic about it while I talk about it, but this is not a subject I really want to talk about. It's unpleasant. I always catch a lot of shit whenever we get into the drama, so I try to stay out of it for the most part, but um, you know, sometimes you sometimes you got to you got to talk about stuff and there's we got a problem in the organization, so we got to talk about it. How does that sound, Matt? Sounds very interesting. Um, I should say none of these guys know what I'm going to talk about exactly. I what do you think I'm going to talk on about? On the edge Matt? of my seat. Yeah. What do you think, I, Matt? I have a couple ideas, but I want to see where this is going to go. So. All right. So I'm going to talk about Mike Foley. That's that's what I'm going to do. All right. So I should just like just to give a little context. Um, I don't really know the players involved in this situation. And I'm more discussing this. I'm going to go in depth on a minute situation. It's not a huge deal, but I'm going to talk about it in some detail. So because I believe it to be a pattern of behavior. And that's why I'm bringing it up, because it, it, I believe it to be a pattern, not because like this one incident is super important. So anyway, um, I should also say that the other like there's some people involved in this. Like that, I'm not. I don't really give a shit about that. I'm not. I'm not like defending them, attacking them. None, nothing. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just going to talk about Foley. So anyway, uh, some some guy like uh, deleted his scores from a match. I think after the fact, like right after the fact, maybe they essentially withdrew from a match. Okay, um, withdrew from it. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that, and I don't think that's a good idea, by the way. But this is what the guy did. So how do you think Foley handled that, Mike? Or not Mike, Matt. I'm sure it was very professional and done out of the uh, public eye, right? Yeah, so it was a public post on Facebook from Mr. Mike Foley. Deleting scores and not submitting them and paying for them are against the affiliation agreement bylaws. Posting this to draw attention to it is about as stupid as it gets. Want to fix it or lose your affiliation and membership. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth there where the other guy is, like Foley's target, I guess, is very nice. Um, and I guess conciliatory, but Mike is pretty aggressive talking about uh, your scores in the match. We can see your scores. I posted this interaction on Instagram, by the way, to highlight it. Uh, so, Matt, what do you think I thought about that comment from Mr. Foley? Uh, I do believe I saw this post from you, so I do know what you thought you about it. You know exactly it. what I thought. Yeah. Uh, so I posted this, obviously, to draw attention to it, and I, and I was... I juxtaposed it, that's a fun word, with the, uh, you remember a couple years ago when Foley came after my membership uh, and had to apologize, eat a little bit of shit, and uh, the board had to send him to social media training or something. I went back and found a pretty relevant uh, cap from that, and I posted that as well, because um, obviously that was all bullshit, by the way. All of that was bullshit. That was all for show. And training I was just worked is what you're saying, yeah. What's that? The training worked. Right. 
yeah, whatever. I'm not sure that any training took place, um, but whatever. So anyway, going at people hard on uh, social media like that, that's not a very good, that's not a good thing. And I posted this to draw attention to, of course, I, I had some comments. They weren't too spicy. I thought they were pretty fair, to be honest. Um, I made it about money, you know, because I thought that'd be kind of fun. So if you want to keep uh, doing USPSA, make sure they get their three bucks. Also, if you want to use social media to threaten memberships like a petty tyrant, you should probably slide those threats into DM. Not a good look to post in public. That was my my comments on that. Um, so anyway, I thought obviously Foley was aggressive. I got criticized a little bit from people who like they thought they they think that um, I'm taking I'm like tone policing Foley and that he should be out there kicking ass and taking names the way he is. And that wasn't really my uh, my complaint with his with his behavior. It was mostly. A, a from a judgment perspective, like what he's doing makes no sense. And it was just way too aggressive. Joel, let's see if you agree with this. I think the best practices in this sort of situation is to send a nice message like, hey, dude, pretty sure like this is my understanding of what you did, deleting your source from the match that or whatever. Like you're not allowed to do that. So please don't do that anymore. That'd be how you start. And then I think if he pushes back on you, email two would be the same tone. And then I think if he keeps pushing back, email three is where you start getting really aggressive like that. Would you say that that sounds reasonable to you? That is probably exactly how I would handle it. Yes. Me too. I would keep like, obviously you can, you have tools available to you as president of USPSA to get people to do what you want, but you kind of come off like an asshole when you, when you go at people that hard right from the jump. So, and, and you give the person a chance to explain, cause maybe it, maybe it was something outside their control. Like who knows? Like, Hey, this is what I saw. What happened? Oh, well, was, yeah, I mean, that you want to make sure you get the facts right. Absolutely. Before you facts start. Are important. So what if this was a major match and this guy set up all the stages and did the like MD or RM and didn't think it was appropriate to have himself scored in the match? I, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I'm not. I, like, I'm not. Is the president I'm, of the organization going to go like publicly against somebody that Maybe did all that, maybe didn't. But like, for you don't you don't know what don't, happened at that point. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Matt. I mean, like I said, I don't I don't think like essentially withdrawing from a match after you've shot it, like I, that's that doesn't seem designed to hurt anyone. Now there's some maybe some negative consequences like the, the organization not getting their three bucks or uh maybe your classifier score is being removed or something like that. But you know, like like I said, I'm not sure this is a, a good thing to be doing. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really defending it, but like fully, fully calling it, I should say is appropriate. Like he, like just send the nice message. Like, Hey, this is what the rules are. I don't like, I don't think you're trying to fuck anyone over, but this is what the rules are or whatever. Mm -hmm. That'd be totally appropriate, mm -hmm. but fully commented on my social media post guys. Well, uh, what do you think about that? I saw, <laughs> I did. I mean, not. Not the not the content of the comment, the fact that there was a comment made at all. I mean, does that seem wise to anyone sitting here? I would absolutely not engage. Yeah, rule number one with social media: don't engage when you're getting make, uh, you're being criticized. Don't make, don't make problem. Yes. Well, Andreas just cut the fuck out, but yes. All right. So Foley's comment to me: laughable, really. Either you care about cheating or you don't. Deleting scores isn't just about money. If you want any stages, it messes up everyone else's scores in the same division in the match. And it messes with the classification system if you only turn in your good runs. It's a pretty serious issue. Calling people out publicly is okay if you're doing it, but not me. 
It is black and white and witnesses crawl out of the woodwork when it gets public. Oh, well, rock on, shock, shock, stay relevant. So um, didn't have a whole lot to say about the actual situation. Most of his comments were directed at shitting on me, which is mm -hmm. kind of a clue that he doesn't have a whole lot productive to say. Now, what do you think of that comment, Matt, from Mr. Foley? Um, I, I mean, like... Do you think he believes what he's saying? No, I mean, I'm not even going to go into that. I think, like, a couple things, <laughs> like, him trying to call out your relevance is pretty <laughs> It's, it's self-defeating, isn't it? My comment was relevant enough for you to respond to. Yeah. It is self-defeating. And even in general, <laughs> like, come on, like, like, we don't even have to talk about how relevant you are right now. Or no, will be. But like, that's fine. But the fact that he commented means he agrees with what you're saying. Right. Yes. Uh, rock on, shock, shock, state relevant. Obviously, that's, that's pretty self-defeating. He says it's black and white. And witnesses call, crawl out of the woodwork when it gets public. Well, I agree with the second part. Witnesses do come out of the woodwork, but this would be contrary to how they handle every other thing they do. So I'm not sure he believes what he's saying. He certainly does. Like, this is certainly not the norm as far as the way they resolve problems. I think this is just lashing out on so, social media. So my other takeaway is he's equating deleting a score after you shot it to editing scores and keeping them in. Right. So he's saying it's a pretty bad history on that. Yeah, that was about actually that was banning people. The comment that it was a lot less of a response when people cheat and go back and edit scores to get the ones they want versus just deleting so all of their scores from the match. And I should say not doing that in secret. The way the guy got caught doing this and I air quote. Well, he, told the, he told the universe, which wasn't yes. the best idea. He told the universe on Facebook. So, I mean, I don't believe the dude thought he was even doing anything wrong. But fully putting that in the same bucket as cheating is, well, it's not black and white. There's gradations. There's, you have to look at what is the guy intending to do. You know, it's like the reason that I wouldn't level the charge of cheating at that sort of behavior, because I think cheating is pretty serious charge to level at something. You know, I want it to be clear cut and black and white. When so, Like if you call it cheating, like it better be like straight up cheating. Like I wouldn't, I don't just throw behavior I don't like in there with, uh, with cheating. And uh, yeah, so anyway, Foley says all that. And it's amazing to me, like, cause I, like based on prior conduct, I don't believe he believes anything he's saying. If he did, he would just smoke the guy for cheating. You don't, I mean, Mike Foley doesn't call out people for cheating on Facebook. He kicks them out of the organization. That's what he ought to be doing if he believes they're cheating, which he clearly doesn't because that's not what he's doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, he got, he got smacked because, really, uh, as people pointed out to him, uh, there is a bit of a double standard here. I mean, does anybody know the double standard that I'm referring to? Okay, so it would be okay for random dipshit members to call out other members on Facebook, whereas people would not think it's okay for USPSA president to do that because he gets paid $150,000 a year not to. You know what I mean? He's supposed to act professional. Like, th that's the reason I don't have a boss It's because... And I don't have that. So such a, so I don't. I don't have my behavior uh, checked then in in that way. So it was, you know, 
well, I should say, I should say, this is a pattern of behavior. Obviously, at this point, like if you look at the whole context of this, like Foley damn near lost his job a couple of years ago, uh, getting into it, like threatening my membership on Facebook. And then just a couple years later, I don't know if there were substances, substances involved in this or not. I don't know what, where his head was at. But given that context, that he's gotten in serious trouble for doing this shit before and he keeps doing it, it's like, I don't know what the fuck he's thinking. Like, it's, it is a pattern of that sort of behavior. And I should say, I believe that this sort of attitude exists uh, at the highest levels of USPSA. My, my club, I should say, a couple years ago, got an email similar in tone from DNROI one time uh, because they had a target presentation set up at the club match that was not legal. Uh, my hat cam video was put on the internet and the illegal target presentation went to what came to Troy's attention and he sent an email to the club threatening to pull their club affiliation because of an illegal target presentation. That was the opening email, correct? Yeah, that was oh, that was email number one. Uh, now, that match director since had, doesn't match direct anymore. I guess he kind of lost his motivation. So there's no more clubs at there, no more matches at that range. Those 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 events may or may not be related. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. But uh, I believe it to be a pattern of uh, behavior from those dudes, and that's how they act. And the thing is, it's bullshit. Like they don't believe what they're saying because you know what? They don't go around pulling club affiliations. They just don't do that. Like that's not a thing that normally happens. You know how I know? Wait for it. Tony Cowden still has a club. <laughs> Does he really? Well, it's not his name on it anymore, but yeah, he still has a club right. at his range. So I don't know. Like, oh. it, it speaks to your judgment. You don't, don't want to chop off activity fees. Yeah, we would lose activity fees. That's true. But, I mean, like, I uh, I tell a fib now and again. I'll be I'll be honest, but I don't say things that are demonstrably false on fucking Facebook repeatedly. Where it's like we're going to do this or this. It's like no, you're not though. You're not. You're not going to pull anybody's club affiliation. You're not going to throw anybody out of the organization. And you don't believe this to be cheating. This is all nonsense. This is all bullshit. And it makes you look awful. And having that be the, the attitude driving the organization is a little bit sad at this point. So anyway, that's my, that's my spiel. So I, didn't, I did not want to talk about this. I didn't want to make that post on, on Instagram. I would rather just not discuss this shit ever again. But... Nobody else calls this shit out, really. So, uh, Ben, I have a comment to add, if I may. So, it just comes up in conversation with my friends. You're like, hey, did you see this? And in bringing this up with a couple people, like people that I would consider I'm close with, uh, it was not a surprise to them at all. They just saw that, like, yeah, like, like, not, not doesn't surprise me at all. Like, I don't think I'm saying anything earth shattering here. I think everybody knows that, like, what this dude's about and what's going on. But this does kind of, uh, it does change people's attitudes. Let me put it that way about USPSA, not just, not about Foley, but like, like, like how, how crazy does Joyce Wilson have to act before IDPA turns into a joke and you just lose interest? Like right now or in the past? Well, it's not, it's not really a strictly hypothetical question, is it, Matt? It's like, <laughs> what would it take? And then you're like, oh shit, they, they hit that threshold in like 2006. And it's like, yeah. 
<laughs> they sure did. <laughs> yeah, like you said, not only the behavior not being surprising and it being obvious, it'd be a trend. People are like, oh, what else is new? Like, it doesn't surprise me. Like you said, it's just kind of embarrassing, honestly. Like, I would consider it an embarrassment because if, you know, my friend's like, oh, is this the sport? Like, it's no secret. A large part of my finances, my time, my energy, we heart, call it heart and soul to be that cheesy. They're like, oh, and this is the guy that represents your organization. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, that that kind of hurts a bit, you know? Yeah. It, uh, you better be careful or you're going to get called out on social media for the whole world to see by the president of your org. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to yank your uh, club your uh, club affiliation there, Joel. It could happen. <laughs> anyway. Like I said, I don't, I don't know Mike. Never met him before. But it's just that, oh, kind, of, a, that kind of behavior a, is... I, on a personal level, I, I like the guy, you know, he's fun to hang out with, but you know, shouldn't be running anything obviously, but you know, he's fun to hang out with. I, on a personal level, I like the guy. It's just disappointing. No, it's, it's, it's past disappointing. It is unacceptable. So uh, I don't put up with this bullshit and I don't think other people should either. It's just, it's totally fucked up to, uh, act like a jack wagon like I, sh I sure shit don't talk to my clients this way you know anyway all right who wants to talk now matt nope what do you mean well, no well, joel we can we're moving we're, we're moving on go. to the next topic matt you don't have to yeah i know joel can go first what oh, is all right. oh, the power move i like this matt i oh, like boy. this dude matt oh. hopkins uh well andreas and i are kind of sharing a topic uh andreas you want me to go first or did you want to talk first well, I'll say that this came up in some text conversations we had earlier on what we're doing in training, both of us. Yeah. Oh, well, so kind of, oh, your audio's a little laggy. Um, so what I want to talk about, or what we're going to talk about is dry fire on the range. So, I mean, with ammo shortages, people might be less likely to go to the range and blast away until their hands hurt with a bucket of ammo until, you know, they get more ammo, maybe they're rationing ammo a little bit, or they're going to the range less often just due to, you know, some shortages. So uh, what we're, Andreas and I are going to talk about is basically a way to possibly learn more and spend less ammo. So it sounds too good to be true, right? So but it, uh, it, it seems to be working based on what I'm finding out so far doing this at the range. Uh, had you done dry fire on the range in the, like, in the past? Or is this something you're newly incorporating? So this is pretty new for me. I would do maybe a dry fire run through or two, mm -hmm. but kind of once I switched from going dry to live, I hadn't gone back to, to dry fire something that I already, I had already live fired. So what I'm doing, what I did at the range today was do two or three live fire runs and then look at the target, see what's going on. And I'd notice, well, I'm not this target. I'm consistently pushing the shots. Maybe there's something going on in my grip, or maybe I'm uh, when I'm trying to push speed, I'm fumbling with the draw or something. And then I would unload, do a couple dry fire reps where I tried to get that piece squared away. Either um, like when I when I came onto a target that I had good grip on it, had my pin and ring fingers locked, whatever the case may be, and then I'd do that a couple times dry and then go back live. And it was kind of a surprise how quickly things improved on that. So 
still in the early phases of this, but it's pretty pretty promising. I think before I would get some general lessons from live fire that I would take back to dry fire at home, but instantly working on them at the range has been, I think, even better. So you're not waiting to get home and try to dry fire these things to, to sort them out. You're dealing with them right then and there. And no, totally. In a lot of cases, taking out the recoil, taking out the recoil of the gun, I think really speeds the, whatever you're trying to fix. I think there's just a lot of things you can't really tell as easily when the gun is bucking around in your hands versus if it's you're just pointing and you're you're getting stable sight pictures, for instance. No, nope, I agree completely. So uh, in the training blocks I did at the summit, I basically forced people to do. I do a transition uh, target transition block, but I forced them to do it dry before they even fired a shot. Uh, first, I saw some hesitation, and maybe people are like, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I came here to shoot ammo. I've got thousands of rounds to shoot." Um, maybe they thought it was dumb. By the end, I think almost everyone was a believer. So, kind of imagine this: you're working on target transitions, like what Andreas is saying. Uh, you're trying to move the gun to a precise spot. You need to fire ammo uh, so you can check the targets. You want to know where the bullets are going, and that's telling you what's going on. But uh, you know, maybe you're pushing the gun down while you fire the the shots. So the bullets are impacting somewhere different than where the sights actually were. Maybe you're muscling the gun really hard and you're really focused on where the bullets are going and how the gun's recoiling and you miss that you're muscling the gun really hard. So there's a lot of stuff that you might not be capturing because of, like what Andreas is saying, the gun's going off, it's loud, you're trying to hang on to it, don't push down on the gun, so it's a distraction. So what I what I do a lot, even in my own training, what I made everybody do at the summit, was you do something dry two or three times uh, with a magazine, and you got the chamber empty, but it has the correct weight, so it feels like your actual gun. So whether you're doing like a position entry and exit, you're drawing and just transitioning between targets, whatever. Um, so you do it dry a few times with the correct weight. Then you go ahead and do it with ammo a few times. Um, and then after that, you do it dry again. And it's pretty interesting when you don't have the gun going off, how much stuff you'll pick up. Um, so like I said, maybe in that example where you're muscling the gun really hard, you don't realize it. And then when you do it without the ammo and you're really paying like super close attention to what the sights are doing, like, oh, I didn't ever realize, oh, the sights kind of always swing a little bit too far and then they come back. Or, oh, maybe I'm always stopping a little bit short on that target. Or you're doing a position entry. I didn't really realize that I don't really have the gun up when I get there. Or maybe it's something with how you move your feet or coming in low. So just not firing the gun, I think it lets you pick up on a whole lot more of things that are going on besides just the gunfire. And then when you are just focusing on the gun or what the sight's doing, you'll pick up more when the gun's not recoiling. So... Uh, doing it with pressing the trigger and without pressing the trigger in dry is quite productive. So those have really been some of my most productive range sessions, sessions really. Or maybe I only fired 300 rounds, but I did a lot. Even doing something like Ghost Stop, where I'm running hard. Uh, Joel, so this, Joel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So who's, who has people do live and dry fire together all the time in their class? You do, Ben. I do. I do. I do. I'm a big believer in what, what you're saying. No, I do also. I think uh, so also the doing the I think also do, doing the dry fire immediately. That if you just immediately unload your gun and go do some do a couple dry reps, you're you're going to do things almost the same way as you did them live. Can I expand a little bit? In that, yes. Well, yeah, yeah go sure. for it. Uh, so when you're going out to for a live fire practice session as well, doing a bit of dry fire, like just five minutes before you start shooting, especially when you're you know if ammo's uh, tight, maybe you're having trouble finding primers. 
Maybe your bullet order is taking a while. I don't know. That's strictly hypothetical, I'm sure, for everybody. But uh, anyway, if you're a little bit uh, low on ammo as well, like you just put in that five minutes of dry fire and then those repetitions where you're like you're a little bit lazy on the draw or you're missing your grip a little bit, you know, you're not warmed up. You just warm up dry. And then the, the every, when you're spending your ammo, it's the most productive it can be. That's another thing to think about here. Yeah. And the other thing, like what Ben's saying, when you're doing dry training at the range is it's full power, full speed. So you don't have around in the chamber, you're not firing real ammo. But if you're doing position entry and exit, go stop, whatever, you are still running as hard as you can. It is maximum effort. You're trying, you know, there's no difference than if you have bullets in your gun or you don't. You're paying attention to everything that's happening and you're going as hard as you can, doing it as fast as you can. Yeah. All right. So well, you, you don't do dry fire in the range. Guys. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, if Matt's not talking about his topic. Nope, I'm good. Be. I got one. Let's go, baby. I actually got like three I have in my mind, but I'm going to pick an easy one this time. So Okay. okay. So uh, it's, so it's this weekend shooting, pocket, right? So. <laughs> what? So I actually had a feeling like I was kind of get starting to get burned out, you know? Like, I shot PSTG, then did a state match, then Area 3, and then, like, set up a local match all in a row. So, like, I was getting the feeling of a little burned out. So, I'm like, okay, I've, I know what this feeling is. So, I'm just, not, like, not going to shoot till I'm ready again. So, I've basically taken the week off. But this is kind of the first time I've noticed it before, like, pushing through it and then realizing it after the fact that i should have taken some time off can, but, can i like, can i talk about you personally a little bit matt yeah this is not this has been a thing many many years i can i can recall you're like oh i'm on the road 10 weeks straight like you'll you'll, you'll talk to me in june you're like oh i'm doing stuff like the next 10 weeks and like in a row and you're like yeah, yeah. so you it'll be like or like the next six weeks that i have a week off then i'm doing another four weeks and you're working, you're, you're putting in all your time at CZ and then getting in the car on Friday and going someplace for the weekend and getting back late on Sunday and then going to work on Monday. Like you are like, and that's like week after week. That's been your pattern, right? This has been a thing that yeah. you've done. Yep. hundred percent. Not to talk too much shit, but just to be honest. Yeah. But I think it was good that I finally realized it. And like, I don't know if something happened or anything, but it was like, you know, I don't feel like shooting today or doing anything today, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to force myself to go out and do it. It's like your body or your mind is telling you to take a break, take a break. And mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I'm feeling a little like antsy about it, but I'm going to continue on till this weekend. And then I have like a full week off not doing anything or anything like that. So I Matt, think it's good. You're making the wise decision. Mm-hmm. So I'll, because I'll tell if you, I, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Like yeah, I, I, I this. I spent last week getting fucked. Not not last week, but the, like like the last week. I mean, I was getting destroyed out, and I was t- t- training in South Carolina. It was hot as balls. Like I'm out there every single day, like six days in a row, mm-hmm. and then I get up at four o'clock in the morning after staying up till midnight and I drive to have breakfast with Andreas and then I fly home and I'm tired. And then like today, like, so that was yesterday. And today I get out, I'm like, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to hit it hard on my bike. And this was after training. 
I get on my bike and I pedal like three times and I make it to the neighbor's house, you know? And I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like my legs and my, my body's like fucked right now. And I like, normally I just like, yep, I'm going on a hour and a half bike ride anyway. And I'm going to the range tomorrow. And I don't even care because I'm so hard. I'm so hardcore. And now it's just like my judgment said to be like, no, just put the bike away and go have a productive training session tomorrow morning. That's what you should do. And I did that. So you're, I think you're being smart. What do you say? Mm-hmm. I like it. I, I'm getting the the fire or like I want to like right now I feel like I want to get back out on the range. So I think maybe one more day of this will be good. I'll be totally reset, refreshed, ready to go finish the year out. So because yeah. I think we're, in hope, a... we're like 60 days out on basically the end of the year at this point. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Andreas. Saying having a type A personality does have its drawbacks and that it's easy to get yourself burned out. If you're just setting if you're setting such a high bar for yourself that you can't possibly ever meet it. But uh, yeah, giving yourself permission to take a day off can be difficult, but it's a good idea. Yeah. Like if you're, uh, you're right. you gotta know you gotta know yourself. If you're a pretty driven individual and there's like any question that you should be taking a day off, it's like, yeah, you probably need a day off. Well, yeah, I actually had a similar situation. Yes, the last, I don't know, this week I've been training hard for dry training. Uh, and my hands are just getting smoked. Like yesterday, I was really, they were really starting to hurt. And like, I kind of kept going for a while because I'm like, I'll, I'll be fine. Let's just keep rolling. And then I was like, nope, I need to stop. Like before this gets any worse, today I wanted to dry fire. And I was like, my hands actually still hurt a bit. And I'm like, nope, I just, I want to, but I won't do anything today because I want to be able to train this weekend. And like, that's the smart thing to do. So totally what you guys are saying. I like yeah. it a lot. Typically, people don't accuse any of us of doing the smart thing, but, you know. It happens once in a while. We have our moments, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's go to the podcast question. I'm an A-class carry optic shooter approaching master. Given targets that are covered with a no-shoot, but offer a portion of the lower A-zone and full upper A-zone in the head box, how do each of you decide when to go for the head? I have a very hard time deciding whether to go lower A-zone that's partially obscured by a no-shoot versus a wide open upper A-zone head box. It's been my experience that most people A-class and below shy away from ever shooting head box unless it's pretty much required. They may just take the charlies between between the two A-zones and move on to the next target. As I move up the ladder, I'm realizing I need those points. Do higher level competitors feel more comfortable engaging head boxes? And if so, out to what distance? At what point does the lower A-zone have to be obscured before you tend to shy away from it? I realize this question is going to be discovered individually through practice and repetition, but I'm curious what I should be striving for and how the top guys approach those targets. Hmm, one of those things where the answer is contained in the question, but we're going to talk about it for five minutes anyway. <laughs> well, go ahead, Mr. Matt. You're the, uh, you're, you've been shooting carry optics pretty steady for a while. Yeah, is- so I don't think it matters on the division. So you take the size of the A box in the head, right? If the A zone is equal or less than that, and there's a no shoot or hard cover on it in the lower portion, it probably makes sense to shoot the headshot. If there's more distance difficulty, I mean, let's say on a 10 yard target. Okay. So, like, that's a relatively tight shot, right? A head box or basically the same size with a no shoot underneath it. Like, you're going to go for the head box on it. The no-shoot's too much of a risk that if you were off slightly or you push the gun down a little, like, you're going to be into that no-shoot. 
and like maybe you hit the line on it and you get the hit also, but still, it's too much of a risk to usually do that. Uh, what would you? What advice would you give here, Joel? Well, if I go to a match and I see some shot that I'm not sure about, my gut will tell is a good measuring a good measurement to tell me if it's a good idea or not. Because if I look at the target, I'm like, yep, I will get those A's. It will be no big deal. I am confident in that. More than likely, I will be correct. And if I look at that and my gut says, this is a terrible idea, hold center of Brown, you want to have a good match, and this is a bad idea, then I'll probably go with that. The way I draw those conclusions, uh, kind of as he hinted, is prior training and experience. So I set up garbage like that in training, and that gives me a good idea of what I can and can't do when I'm in a match. Okay. It sounds like you're parroting some stuff, but I will say... Uh, I probably heard it from you. I have no doubt, Ben. <laughs> uh, I will say the the tool that you should use, and because I, I, I disagree with Matt, I think it changes based on division. It changes based on the target presentation. I mean, because if I'm shooting major, that's a very different calculation. And mm -hmm. I imagine if I'm shooting major with a dot and a comp, the, 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 the calculation would be diff even more different. Uh, but what the tool that you should use is uh, scoring in aggregate and training. So you set up different scenarios, shoot them like five, six times in a row without pacing anything to really give yourself an honest run and score it in the aggregate. So that means instead of shooting one run and being like, I got a hit factor that was 11. And then you shoot another run and you, you clip Get a hit factor of two. Got a hit factor of eight. No, just shoot the same strategy or style a bunch and learn what gives you the best results on average and learn to pay attention to that information. Uh, this is where it kind of requires that you take a longer view or a, a wider view of your shooting. So you might pick the right strategy to win the match that doesn't win you stages necessarily. So uh, a lot like pick, trying to pick A's off the head boxes, for example, might be the winning strategy for the match but it, it maybe it, it, it adds a little bit of time to the stage and you have some jackass who runs through the stage uh, shooting it a lot more aggressively who picks up uh, a bunch of points and just sort of by luck gets a higher hit factor than you on that one stage. That can't affect that. That can't affect your thinking or shouldn't affect your thinking. That's like an emotional, like that you might have an emotional reaction to that, but you don't want it to affect your thinking. You want to be clear headed. Uh, instead, you want to pick the strategy on the targets that gives the best results for you on average over the course of the match and you, you do want to think about it that way and you do want to be uh testing it and i, I agree with the, the guy's premise that he's at about the level where he needs to where he needs to start picking up those points i think you know, like uh, up to like a class or like low m class like that's where basically training to get really fast like you train speed 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 get fast like get through the stages fast uh you know don't miss or whatever but just get get through the stage aggressively and then at about that level, now it's like, hey, you know they're going to score those, right? Or it's like uh, having 20 points down, shooting carry optics on most stages, like that just, that's not acceptable. And you have to start picking those, picking up those points. Uh, and what, like would, learning. Would you, what would you think about looking at the overall hit factor on the stage and how important those extra two points for the alpha are? Like if it's yeah. a hit factor five versus a hit factor nine stage. Yeah. It's like hit factor nine. I would just be tempted to go center of Brown. Yeah, exactly. Like that's where you start looking at the whole picture. You know, I think uh, one of the, the talk throughs I had for a match, it was a, a club match I shot in Florida with shooting carry optics. And one of the stages was all head boxes. 
And I made a point of explaining the aiming strategy very, very carefully because it was like head boxes between three and seven yards. And that was the whole fucking stage. But shooting minor, like I, I knew the right strategy based on the math. But it had me feeling like I was shooting very slowly, but it ended up being a much, much better hit factor. And then the reverse situation can always be true, where a lot of times uh, you might see the targets and want to bitch up on them and be like, hey, no, this is a 12 hit factor stage. Like you just slap two on the brown there uh, on that particular target, and that's going to net you the best result on average. So like, yeah, the, the context matters a lot. And there's a lot of math to be done and a lot of experimentation to be done, too. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I just want to get this guy's thinking oriented in uh, a good direction. I think. Anybody have anything to add to that? I mean, there's also, I think, the risk of whether it's a no shoot or a hard cover below the uh, below the A zone. Like if I if I if I need to do a, if I hit a hard cover and need to make it up, that's not the end of the world. If you hit a no shoot, if you pull it low into a no shoot, well, that's that's going to stick with you. So that, yes. that always factors into my equation. Yeah, and you should also also be thinking the average result too. So you, like, you might look in, at, at the targets and I, once you know, know yourself, you might look at that and be, okay, I have a 10% probability of hitting that no-shoe, like given that strategy versus a 2% probability the other way or something. Um, so you, you mean a lot of it is like you're just picking how much risk you want to accept and what do you think, what, what do you think is worth it? All right, guys, you sound pretty quiet now. So I think it was another bang up podcast. I do appreciate all it. Always. Yeah. It was yeah. good. It was good. They are. It was. I thought especially that opening rant was pretty, pretty strong. Pull <laughs> off after that precipitously. That's like Tucker Carlson. That's Tucker Carlson level rants there. <laughs> all right. So uh, listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensteger.com. Send me your question. We'd love to talk about it on the podcast. And uh well, the rest of you guys go go work on your material for next week, and we'll get some more rants going. 